friend, is anyone else feeling a little overwhelmed about everything that they have to do before the end of the year? Uh, You are not alone. I just read a statistic that almost 70% of people find the holiday season stressful. And I always think of this time of year as when we are limping to the finish line. Our to-do lists are overflowing, and yet it is simultaneously when we're wanting to start to dream and plan for the year ahead, formally or informally, even making subconscious resolutions about I want it to be different next year. I want more room to breathe. I want more ease. I want to be more present. I want to be less stressed. And so many in this community, what we are seeking is not the stereotypical resolutions, which are about being harder on ourselves, like lose weight, you know, whip your schedule into shape, like those things that are more aggressive. Instead, what most of us are wanting is for things to be a little easier in the new year, a little softer, a little lighter, to feel less burned out. So let's make that happen and change the way we are feeling now. I am thrilled to be opening enrollment one last time live to my Healing Burnout course. It is just the third time ever that I am walking a cohort of women through a six-week experience with access to my live coaching for me to be able to give you feedback and support as you walk through. And we are starting it with my free assessment on the 13 signs of burnout. I will put that link in the bio. It's hillaryrushford.com slash 13 signs one three. But we want to kick it off with this assessment so that you can feel seen and validated and have self-awareness about what you really are carrying and where your pain points are and understand what your unique path is to healing. With all of the cultural messages that tell us to be harder on ourselves, and we know they are coming up, all the consumerism and the over-decorating and the whatever, it gets more and more at the end of the year, and then we start with all that pressure at the top of the year for new you, new year, all the things. Instead... Join me, join us in an energy where we are being softer from a place to make our lives so much better. And we are not white knuckling it until the new year. We're not pinning all our hopes on January 1. We are bit by bit feeling better this fall so that we enter a new year more rested and we have more space to cultivate and live out a life and self we adore in 2024 and beyond. I want to tell you one testimonial from one of our members, Amy, that I just saw who said, I have already recommended healing burnout to a bunch of my family and friends and would highly recommend this specifically to women who are struggling with a juggle it all mentality, who know they are trying to do too much, but just can't see an alternate path, who are tired to their bones of feeling shame and guilt and are longing for a lifestyle that brings deep purposeful peace and self-belief. That's what Hillary has for us inside Healing Burnout. How beautiful is that? I cannot wait to help you have that same experience Amy did. We're going to talk more about that joy, confidence, and ease in today's conversation. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. 
Hi, lovely. So I was working on my notes for this conversation last night, and then I checked into our garden party community. Friend, I just looked down and I realized that my lunch, this is so embarrassing, my lunch from yesterday is sitting at my desk. I have a standing desk, and so it's kind of hidden, you know, around the side of the standing desk. And I think that just describes how many tabs I have open in my brain that I must have not done my sort of like closing the office ritual last night. And, you know, maybe, honestly, it was because of what I was just about to say. I went into our private group, the garden party. I tend to do that um, at the end of my day and uh, hang out with you guys. And I saw this post that I was so incredibly moved by. And it, I got a little tingly because it really summarized my heart for this conversation. And don't you just love it when you are trying to process through something and then you talk to a friend and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking the exact same thing. Or I, hey, I wanted to share this thing with you. And you're like, oh my gosh, friend, I was just thinking about this for my life. This is so great. We can totally help each other. And the other reason I got tingly was it, was it's the kind of post, I'll describe the post in a minute, by the way, I'm not going to leave you hanging, but it's the kind of post that I realized, where else is this getting shared? This seems like this person has never actually had a place to share this before. And I think I've just been thinking a lot about how we are technically more connected than ever before and we know more people and we see more people's lives and yet I've just been reflecting for my own life how disconnected I really feel in a lot of ways and I think I've been you know we've had the garden party community happening for the last year and I think just recently there's been some really complex shares over there that I just think this is such a long share. No one's even been DMing me this over the years because it's just, you know, two thumbs and you know only one person Hillary's going to see it versus 10 fingers on the computer and you know a group of women is going to hear it and so there's more there's, there's more ROI. There's more return on investment and there was more ease. And so I'm just realizing these stories that I'm like I don't know anyone in my life who's had this experience. And I am so blessed by hearing from someone who has a life experience different than me because it, it expands my empathy, it expands my sensitivity, it expands my you know, curiosity. So anyways, this post in essence is from one of our members who was raised, I believe it is, in the Mennonite church tradition. And I was unaware, and, and it may not be that this was the childhood tradition, but there was something religious in her childhood that it was against the religion to, or against her mother's beliefs at least, to cut your hair. So from a young age as a child, she always had the longest hair that everyone was commenting on. And she disliked that all throughout her childhood, her appearance stood out as othered and people constantly wanted to ask questions of it. You know, how often, we kind of go back to, Brene Brown and our our number one body insecure number one area of shame as women is our body image and appearance. And shame is a fear that we lack love and belonging. 
So while some personality types want to stand out and be like the, the one kid in school with blue hair, most of us, most of the time in most areas of our life actually want to fit in and feel included. And actually, now that I'm saying this, I just had an experience last uh, week on a call where I felt so excluded. Um, I will go and share that in stories and I will um, maybe pin that just since I mentioned it in this episode for um, for a few days. But um, we generally, we so want to belong. And so this was her experience in childhood. And now as an adult, she still feels called to be part of this community. So there's values, obviously, of faith, of community, of heritage that she wants in her life. But the dress code of this religion that has to do with long sleeves, long dresses, I think also head coverings. She's about to share photos with us because I said to her initially, I think I wear lots of long sleeve ankle length dresses and no one looks at me twice. And I see plenty of women in head coverings, I think predominantly from the Muslim religion. And I don't think anyone looks twice at them, but I'm also believing her. So she's trying to figure out, she's going to share photos with us inside this private community to basically say, I, I need you, please be honest with me. What about my appearance is making people look at me so much because I don't like it. And yet I don't feel called to leave this tradition, which is what I would have to do if I didn't abide by this dress code. And I think I just, it's one of those times where I was like, in my 12, 13, almost years, I don't know, of of exploring what makes women feel beautiful and wanting to help women, this specific niche has never crossed my mind. And yet it's the same core heart that we're all struggling with, which is I just, I, I either want to stand out or I want to blend in and I'm not sure if I can trust my eye and I can't put my finger on it. You know, I have things from my childhood, that's a whole other story, but there were times in my childhood where I felt like I was different than other kids. And I still today through therapy, I, I can't figure out if I was right or not. I can't figure out if I was actually the odd man out or it was just in my head. And so I think just the human relatability of this story, while I don't know anyone who has been in that world of a very visibly extreme religious dress code and not felt aligned with it. And that's a bit of what we're going to talk about in today's episode is uh, what I said to her is there is an outside dream or goal or priority that has come from someone else. Your soul didn't come up with this idea, your heart, your mind. Someone else planted this idea in you and it's not fitting right. It, your soul says like this, this doesn't feel aligned. And yet dreams are complicated because she probably doesn't, she doesn't want to lose her community, her faith, you know, all of that. If you're in the garden party, you can go and see the post and read a lot more of those details. And if you join Healing Burnout, the enrollment for that is opening uh, one last time for this year next week. And specifically, 
I, this is the final time I'm going to be live coaching a cohort through it so that I'm available for questions to go deeper with you, you know, with things changing next year with maternity leave and a baby. So please do not miss this opportunity to walk through this truly for me, life changing teaching. And you would also be able to uh, read her post then. But I had this realization around the concept of dreams, which is what I wanted to talk about today, that back in August, I just found some old notes that I had had uh, been taking around that time. And I was listening to a podcast. You know, sometimes you're just going through the podcast role. There's a show you like or a, show, a new show you've fallen in love with and you're going back to the archives and listening all the way through. So you're not choosing the episode because you're like, ooh, that topic is really what I needed to hear today. And the topic was on dreaming with God. And I wasn't listening to it because I was thinking I need to dream or I'm feeling stuck or I'm making any decisions. It was, you know, just the next thing that came up. But as I was listening, I realized multiple things about my dream life (laughs) over the last decade. And we say dream life, just to be clear, I don't mean when you're asleep. I mean, what are you aspiring to do in life? What gets you out of bed in the morning? When you're really stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, why is that? What are you pursuing when you're struggling to be more of an essentialist? What are you having a hard time saying no to when you're feeling conflicted? Where is your meaning coming from? If, if, if the bus test happens and you were gone in five years, what would you be grateful that you did? What do you want to be known for in the world? Your legacy? I mean, all of those kinds of things, just this sort of core what is it that really matters to us? I realized that despite having and using my Elegant Excellence Journal for years, I'd had one dream that I kept moving over over the years, and actually many dreams, that they, they weren't happening. They hadn't happened yet. You know, I was like, yep, I'm going to make that happen in the next 18 months. And they're like, nope, still hasn't happened, so we're going to move it on over. And, you know, you're making progress on them. And I think it's good to have that determination and say, you know, you you might not get there in a year, even though you thought you were. So the book was the big one for me that I just kept being patient. It doesn't feel time for the book, but it still is the next thing. Just a, just a little more this, just a little more money, just a little more list building, just a little, et cetera. And I realized actually that I don't think I've done in full the portrait, which if you don't yet have the Elegant Excellence Journal, um, there's, there's two versions, the portrait and the pursuit. And the portrait starts with really in-depth like vision casting, goal setting, kind of this, this whole bigger, broader exploration. And since the book died, I have done a ton of journaling, but I don't think I've gone back through that exercise. And I didn't even realize consciously that I haven't because you can still use the journal without doing all of those pages and then we also have the pursuit version that just has more of the daily pages and not that intro so I would honestly have to flip back through my journals to see that I just keep doing pursuit versions but I think it was not conscious of course initially I was grieving when you're grieving when you might have reached the end of the road in fertility treatments or your marriage has just ended or, you know, it's, it's not 
the time to be like, well, let's just find a new goal and dream, right? I mean, it might be, that might feel healthy to you, but you also might be like, I, I've got to grieve this dream before I could have any hope. It's like, you know, sometimes you have to be alone after a breakup that you need time to grieve that and recalibrate so you can go whole and healthy into the next thing. So I think I was grieving for a season and then personal dreams were the focus. And, you know, for so for we do both in the journal. We do personal and professional. But as an entrepreneur, my professional is the core driver of my life. Like that is always the big thing. And then there's other people that cross out professional. They're a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. It's all about the personal and maybe they make one side for them and one side for their family, one side for their family and one side for their community because they're really involved in their local school, school board and things like that. But for me, it really was all about the professional. And then just as that dream was dying, we were ramping up on the personal side with, okay, we've put down this deposit for surrogacy, but it technically still is get backable, also known as refundable. Um, are we, are we for sure, for sure that we are moving forward in this, et cetera. So there was a lot of like personal excavation that I think I, my busyness with that allowed me to not acknowledge, not notice that I wasn't dreaming on this other side, I wasn't doing any business dreams. The business dream had died and I hadn't been like, okay, then what's next? You know, whether to you that's like, okay, God, universe, what's next? Whether that's coming from your soul. And I think that's worth each of us considering. Am I so focused on one side that I haven't really thought much about the other? Have I been in a season of grief And then I just kind of went into busyness. I just kind of went into the motions and it made me feel sad and scary because I'm going to have to acknowledge the grief again. I'm going to have to acknowledge that the wedding got called off (laughs) and that was 12 months ago. And that still, you, you, you feel like you've grieved it. You feel like you've healed from it, but to have to sit down with a totally blank journal and be like, For the last five years, I thought that guy was it. I thought we were getting married. I thought we were having babies. Like, I want to acknowledge, friend, that can be a lot to have to start to dream again. But this, I also made, it also made me think back on early entrepreneurship. And I just could remember all of a sudden this time in my life, these early years, like 2011 through 2015 maybe, where I was just constantly dreaming. I mean, the early days of entrepreneurship were just dream after dream, any vision casting worksheet, any goal setting thing, I would download it, I would print off the questions, I would, I just have pages and pages of journals, I have three ring binders of of print offs back in the day. It was just endless ideation. And that was this so indicative of that season in my life. And it's part of why I loved creating the Elegant Excellence Journal and that I would take uh, one to two days away for a retreat. I would take the train upstate to a little town called Cold Springs and I would get two nights in a hotel and I would just spend 48 hours pouring over my Elegant Excellence Journal, my vision casting and laying out my plan for the year. Like I loved dreaming. I loved ideas. I loved 
having a bigger vision of my life. I loved getting excited about the future. I loved envisioning that I could make an impact, that I could do things I was excited about. I mean, when you've been in that season, and maybe you're in that right now, maybe you've been it in the past, um, it's you, you, I think you can probably feel it as you're, you're hearing me say it, like how good that feels to just be in that exciting phase. And maybe that's how you felt when you were pregnant or when you were engaged or in some big life change, like, oh, I'm dreaming for the future right now, or when you started the business or you know, whatever it was. So I think there's three things at play here. One is grief, and that has been my, my more recent experience um, in saying, oh, why have I been doing this dreaming less? Um, And a little bit of avoidance there. You know, this is in the last like 18 months. But also for as confident and visionary as I am, it's really pretty shocking to me how swayed I have been more times than I've really consciously realized until the last few years by other people who were in my life, by culture, and especially in decisions that I can take back. And I'll explain what I mean, but where you aren't just like, I literally can't, you know, like you get a tattoo, there's no going back, you know? And so maybe you think a little harder about that one, but like, you know, cutting bangs, they'll grow back. So maybe you're a little bit rash. So specifically in the cutting bangs version of life, the number of times when I have been swayed, and I'll break these down, is really, I'm just really doing, having to do some soul searching. And then there's also times, kind of my third categories, I look back at my seasons, is where I've just gotten so busy chasing the goal and dream, working so hard at it, so well, so diligently, being so impressive to myself and the people around me. Because guys, I have a phenomenal work ethic. And that that is a great quality. That's an impressive quality. But when I'm doing this thing that is good, I, if I didn't also take time away from being productive to make sure that what I was working on, as it grew in scope, as it grew in complexity, as it continued to get heavy, as it continued to burn me out, as it continued to make me exhausted, did it have the same meaning to me? And of course, there's an element here of sunk cost bias. We talk about this in What Makes Women Feel Beautiful, that you know the, the clothes we buy, we so often have a hard time parting with them because psych- psychology shows that we associate a higher value to something when we own it, when we've already, we've already put the money into it, we've already invested in it, now we have a higher value associated with it than if we really saw the price tag, the cost of that dream. It's going to take this much years, this much money, this much sorrow. If you knew all that going in, you know, I'm sure someone can relate on the fertility journey. I mean, we just had no idea when I decided to do one round of egg freezing that I was starting a quarter of a million dollar journey to become a parent. I mean, I can't. 
I, I, I don't regret it. We're having a baby, but did I know that was the cost early on? No. And I've shared you when the, the first round doesn't work and you're shocked, you just, you move on to the next and you move on to the next and you just like, you know, kind of keep going. So there's these different elements and areas that I've been reflecting on times when there was, there was bumpiness or stuckness, or I'm just looking back at the dreaming being like, that wasn't the, the best, most ideal scenario, basically. So I'm going to give you four examples, three business and one personal. And the one personal is what really showed me the difference in how this feels. And that one was has been so powerful in my life that it's allowing me by comparison to look at the others and notice the impact of burnout in that difference. That when I walked through a, a dream and I pursued a dream with that was really in alignment and I'd really done the work to know that it was in alignment, it burned me out so much less than when I look back and realize that I, I, I wasn't doing some of these things in the beginning. And that's why I ended up on a journey for years that ended up burning me out just a little bit. So the first dream example, I have told the story before that my first business coach I hired in 2014. And I remember the office that we were sitting in. <laughs> And I remember the, the, the whiteboard or the, you know, big giant piece of paper board that's up on the whiteboard, whatever. I remember them drawing and I remember the moment they were drawing out my 13 revenue streams and they were like, okay, first of all, you have 13 revenue streams. You have any more questions as to why you were totally overwhelmed? Like less is more. We got to go all in on one really, really wise advice. And then they picked this, this is what I think your dream should be. And the number of times that this has rocked me in the decades since that I don't, th- by the way, this isn't a bad person, you know, um, or this person isn't bad for this, but I just realized like I invested $5,000 and a plane ticket and a hotel to go out and have this one day intensive. And 10 years later, it is still rocking me that this wasn't actually a person that had a safe process for guiding and shaping someone else's life. And that a one-on-one business coach or life coach or therapist or pastor who says, this is what your dream should be, that is a big statement. But I was so exhausted and I was so desperate to not be so burnt out that I was thrilled for somebody to just tell me your life is going to be easier if you go this way. And it took me so many years to realize that they chose the dream most similar to theirs, the one they knew the most about. And so the, 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 the reality here is I had started out as a personal stylist. I had this 
uh, had done one-on-one clients. It went into my first style course called Style and Styleability. That was one of my products. And it's what I started out in business to do and what I was deeply passionate about. But then I also needed more money to pay my rent. And so whenever people would ask for my help on things, I would just create these other little trainings. They'd be like, oh, how are you doing your graphics in Photoshop? And I'd be like, oh, I could do a little class on that. How are you like organizing your files online? I could do a little little class on that. How are you growing your Instagram following? Well, I could do a little class on that. And that one really took off. And so this coach said the, the Instagram one, you need to double down on the Instagram one. Well, that makes sense because that is about how to teach other business owners how to make more money using one specific platform, which is exactly what this person and all of their close colleagues in their mastermind all did. Somebody did YouTube, somebody did Pinterest, somebody did Twitter, somebody did Facebook. Somebody, like, so, of course, you're going to be like, this is exactly what I know how to tell you to do this, whereas... I, you know, women, fashion, like I, I don't I don't know if I know anything about that. So again, not a bad person in saying that, but there was never a question of what are you passionate about? What do you think you will be interested in talking about for the next 10 years? What do you feel deeply moved by? What are you incredibly curious about? Like all of those kinds of questions. What they did was say, here's where you can make the most money. That's why I'm giving you this advice. I know how to help you make money in this area. Now, here is the complexity. Like our friend over in the garden party who is weighing, I don't want to leave my heritage, my community, my faith, but also, I mean, friends, she is literally hiding. She... She, her mailbox is at the end of her division. And she said, instead of taking a lovely walk with my dog to get the mail, I will get into my car to avoid having to see anyone to drive to the mailbox and then have to loop all the way back around because I just don't want to be seen. And yet, so it can feel so easy to be like, well, obviously, this does not sound like a supportive community. And obviously, you should leave. Like, obviously, it was wrong for this coach to pick this product. But life is so complicated. Dreams and goals and meaning is so complicated. So the reality is, as an entrepreneur, you need money to keep the dream going. It's, it, it's part of the whole business thing. You can't just be like, my passion is just to help people communicate with the spirit animal that is porcupines. And you're like, okay, great. Can you monetize that? Because otherwise, like that just, it can't be your whole life thing because like we do have to pay rent and groceries, you know? So I then ended up telling myself for so many years, I just need to make enough money on this Instagram thing and then I can go back to my, to the passion. This is, it's just getting me through this season. It's just getting me through burnout. It's just getting it to be more sustainable. We just need a little bit more money and then I will go back to this thing that I'm passionate about. But somehow the the business grew and the more the business grew, the more expenses there were and the more expenses there were, the more the business needed to grow. And I just had a bigger and bigger plane, not because I was trying to build a big plane. It just happened. I don't know. Like, you know, you just, 
you thought you were on birth control and you got pregnant anyways. You know, sometimes things just happen in life that you're like, looking back, I was using the most wisdom that I had and I'm a pretty bright person, but that just suddenly you've got a kid you're taking care of. And you're like, but I also was on the birth control. So I just don't really know. This is just the way life unfolded. And I had this big plane that, that, that bigger and bigger that's flying in the, not in the direction I want to go, but is way too expensive for me to just jump out and take an off ramp and way too big to redirect. And so that dominates so many years of my dream story. Like 2014 to 2019, five years of my life. And what rocks me about this is I am a very, I think of myself as a quite independent, clear thinker, confident person. I don't feel like I'm someone who's easily peer pressured, who's constantly swayed, who's just always looking for other people to tell them what to do. And I am still processing 10 years later that I spent five years of my life following a dream that happened in one minute in a conversation. And we didn't ask the right questions. And then my second dream example is 2017 to 2018, I brought on business partners. And I was suddenly back in this big dreaming phase of like, okay, I've been doing this one Instagram product and it's working, but like, let me tell you guys what I'm really passionate about. And that's why they came on board. They loved the vision of what makes my men feel beautiful. They had daughters themselves. They were deeply passionate about this mission. And we would go on retreats together and we came up with so many ideas, big, exciting ideas, but they felt possible. They felt like logical next steps. Um, And, you know, I had a documentary series that I was passionate about for so many years that I was going to travel the world. I knew who my film crew was. I knew where we were going. It was exploring this question of what makes women feel beautiful in different cultures in a really personal way, not just broadly like this is how style is different in Japan or this is how people have, you know, different ideas of whatever, but really creating connections through realizing shared stories, hearing from women all over the world in so many different walks of life and what are their pressures, fears, desires around feeling beautiful, what that means to them, their acceptance with their their body, their relationship with that, realizing things that others struggle with that we don't, realizing like, oh, I, none of my friends are going through that. Like this example from the garden party. We're like, you know what? That's another category I really have not heavily thought about. And that describes a lot of people. That describes women in the Orthodox Jewish community, in the Mormon community who wear, um, wear uh, uh, undergarments that mean you have to be have certain necklines uh, and hemlines because they aren't showing. Like There are quite a few religions out there that have a dress code that are associated with them. And some women feel restricted by that and some women feel incredibly freed by that. We talk about this in What Makes Women Feel Beautiful. The data actually shows that Muslim women and Orthodox Jewish women have the healthiest rates of body image because 
Their style of dress means that they are not observed for their body and the insular nature of their community where everyone has a similar shared style just totally turns the volume down on how important all of that is. So there's all these other women that are being freed by it. And then there's our friend in the garden party who is is so uncomfortable with it. She's hiding in her life. So I have journals and, and documents. I have so many things over the years from this season of dreaming. And I remember, this is what's been standing out to me lately. I remember this anchor in time, not just because of some trips that I can picture us taking where I can imagine the conversations that we were having, um, you know, we talked about this documentary when we were on Catalina Island in California. I so remember that. But there's two passwords that I created in that season. You know, you need a password for your computer or for your email or whatever. And a few years later, once I had parted with the business partners and um, things, I realized, why did I say that this was a goal I wanted so badly? Because, you know, I think it's like a Rachel Hollisism type, um, you know, idea. Not a bad thing. But to be like, if this is your goal, make it a password. So you just type it in all the same, you know, or, you know, you type it in all the time. You're constantly declaring it. And it had to do with a, a size goal or a money goal. You know, it was like a, an acronym that would only mean something to me. But what it really meant was like, I'm growing this big of a business in terms of money or numbers. And it hit me one day, why on earth did I ever say that I wanted that? That is not actually a dream that came from inside my soul. That's a dream that came from culture. And I don't think it came from a specific person. I don't think it was one of my business partners saying, this is what I think our our dream should be or our goal should be. But I think it's just swimming in the entrepreneur culture. Everything, you know, swimming in the parenting culture, swimming in the wedding culture, whatever it is for you. It's like you should always be getting bigger and better. And if you see people that are at the apex and they're saying, I'm this, I'm that, I've achieved this, you sort of are like, okay, that's the gold standard then, what we're going after. But that's coming from someone else, someone else's idea or definition of meaning, purpose, success. And I still used it for quite a while just because I was like lazy and didn't get around to changing it. And I would just kept reflecting like, this is so odd because I just never really cared about metrics or numbers. Like that's just not my thing. I'm just much more a story oriented person. I want to help people and enjoy my life. Like I just, that's, so a dream that would have come in Hillary language would have had to do with that, not a number basically. And I think sort of, and this isn't necessarily gendered about the people in the story. I think it's also a little bit about my just industry in general, but it feels like a very masculine goal to me. And, you know, we can have masculine or feminine energy as male or female beings, But when I realized that, honestly, my real goals have a very feminine energy. They're like, I want to feel spacious. 
I want to feel faith-filled. I want it, they like have an ease and an openness. You know, we talk about like, we talk about the difference between the invisible staircase, this ranking that we are all on with bodies or beauties, or my vision of welcoming us all into the garden. Just think about the aggressiveness of, of a staircase versus the organic soft lines of a garden, right? Like that's masculine versus feminine energy. And when I look back at these goals, I'm like, they're very masculine energy. And they were in fact coming from men, but I don't know again that that has to be gendered. And there are also a lot of women in my field, but how many of them early on were learning from men. And so there still is that being passed down. It's not to say there also isn't plenty of feminine energy, but just another way to even look at it, to to look at your own dreams and be like, that is a fill in the blank type dream. And that's not really my personality. I don't, I don't think that came from me. I think that kind of came from my parents. I think that came from the private school I was in. I think that came from my church. I think that came from climbing the ladder in this corp- this financial world, you know, whatever it is. And the third dream example was in 2019, I realized I had not made enough progress since 2014 on what would have been the first step of like, okay, I'll just make enough money with Instagram and then I'll go back to my passion and purpose over here. And five years go by and I'm not getting there. So I was like, okay, 2020 is really the year I am moving this dream forward. I am, you know, the, the, the money will come. I cannot just keep chasing the money because it is leaving me burned out and not fulfilled. And so 2020 to 2022, that was the dream. And it had always been there when I go back through my Elegant Excellence journal, but I was really putting it into action. And yet again, around that time, there was a password that was a riff off of being a New York Times bestselling author. And you know, that's just what everyone on this path, in my field, in my position wants. I mean, maybe that's just like every actor who's at a certain level wants an Oscar. Anyone who's getting, who's competitive to get cast in a leader supporting role on Broadway is dreaming that they might get a Tony nomination one day. You know, it's just what happens. It just wouldn't occur, like, it's it's so easy to go from, I, would get, I just want to be in a Broadway show, to, oh, well, now I'm in a Broadway show and I got the thing and now it seems like the next step is hoping for a Tony nomination. You know, it's the next step is hoping for an original Broadway cast, which is, like, different than going in, a higher thing than being in a replacement. And so the dream just kind of keeps growing. Everyone around you, this is the the norm. And we just don't talk about like, what if you just want to work and just do good work and enjoy your life getting to do that craft? And it's really hard to imagine because we're just such an accolade-driven culture that like, when Serena Williams, and God, I gotta, I gotta bow down to her. I think she is such a phenomenal example 
of, I mean, I don't know if it came from within her, but the marketing strategy with which she rolled out her retirement and took control of her narrative. Y'all, if you have not read her profile in Vogue when she announced, that is a work of art. You know why? Because she knew that when she said, this is going to be my last tournament at the U.S. Open, everyone would say, okay, well, then she's got to win. She's got to win. She's taking it all home because that's what happens in the movie. You only ever go up. You are on, It only is a happy ending if you end by winning the most. And she spoke to that right there, you know, and was like, that's not my goal. That she wasn't putting that pressure on herself to say, I've got to achieve this thing. She's like, I want to play one more tournament and I'm not playing one more tournament so I can see if I can be ha- get another um, Grand Slam title, I think it is. She was like, I'm, I'm doing it because I, I want to play one more tournament. I, I want to get out there. And the reality is I 100% wish that I had a book. Now, that doesn't mean that I would self-publish and barely sell any copies and you know, that's still not my path forward for people when the book deal fell apart. They were just like, just put it up on Kindle. And like, it's, it's not the same thing. Um, so that's not my path forward, but there is such a big range of, of the type of book and book launch that I could have been so proud of that wouldn't have had anything to do with having a title at the end. And had I not had that dream and aspiration, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. It had nothing to do with the, the book falling apart. That was very disappointing behavior by both editors and agents. That had nothing to do with my, my dreams were too big. But I just didn't personally in life need to be a New York Times bestselling author. Like what I wanted to be was just an author, but I I wanted to write a book that a lot of people were going to read. Of course, I wanted to have meaning and impact. I didn't want to write a book that 200 people have bought. I didn't want to create a book on beauty that's like chintzy and like, you know, cheaply put together because I just did a self-published run or whatever. So yes, I wanted something with beauty and meaning and purpose, but I didn't even need to be an author. For, for years, that wasn't on my bucket list. Like it was a friend in publishing who went through my style course and was like, this has to be a book. The, 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 the women in my office at Random House cannot stop talking about all these style principles. This absolutely has to be a book. We're all obsessed. We're using these principles. You got to write the book. And I was like, that sounds like a lot of work for very little money. And I was completely right. And um, But it planted this idea over the years where I finally came around to Okay, I, I am interested in writing a book, but it wasn't I it wasn't a bucket list item for me. And then I certainly wasn't like, okay, I'll do it, but I would want to be a New York Times bestselling author. Like that, but somewhere along the way, culture planted that idea. And because it was possible that Serena could have won. I mean, yes, she'd had a baby, she had not really kind of gotten back to her full um physical potential, I don't believe. Um, after that, but like, she's Serena freaking Williams. I mean, she is a force. She could have had the the fairy tale woman. 
I could have had a New York Times bestselling book. Like, like I'm in the realm, right? If you're thinking about a Tony nomination, you're not someone who lives in Canton, Ohio, who isn't even getting cast in local theater, right? If you're thinking about a Tony nomination, it's because you're you're getting called back by Bernie Telsey and Mary Sugarman and like all the big Broadway people and they're loving you. You know you're in the mix. That's where the dream starts to grow because of the culture you're in without you realizing, I don't know that I really set out to be in full-time ministry. I was just at this church that kept growing and more people were getting on staff, but like I didn't really come to this on you know my own. But having a partner, like having a romantic partner, my soul wanted that. I didn't get that from Barbie wedding dream house, whatever. Um, not that I don't have problems with Barbie wedding dream house because <laughs> it turns out we're having a girl. We're going to have a lot of conversations about this. But, um, but I didn't get it from that. Like my soul feels deeply fulfilled in a marriage with Jeremy when no one else is paying attention. Do you know what I mean? When it's when it's when, when we haven't left the house for a week because it's snowing and we work from home. Like that is coming from me. I want to live in Europe. That's coming from me. I didn't I didn't get that idea from someone on Instagram. I now follow people on Instagram because they're living out that dream and it shows me that it's possible and it it in, inspires me. But but that's that's from from me. Like I know that in my soul. But something like wanting to be a New York Times bestseller, wanting to hit this specific number, this woman in our community dressing a certain way. I was going to say wanting to dress a certain way. But she does want to dress a certain way because she also wants to be accepted in this community. But all of those, it feels like an idea from outside my head, not inside my heart. And I think that's what I am really processing and that is so hard friends because the messages we get in culture are so prevalent and so insidious and they're so everywhere like it's really hard to be like did you come up with that idea or did you see it somewhere else and if you saw it somewhere else did you say yes because you were like ooh my soul says yes to that or were you like my brain thinks that would be a safe choice or they seem to think it's important and they are a person who knows things. So I guess that is an important thing. You know, we did a whole series on Enough a while back on the podcast. It's episodes 106 to 108. And this question of Enough, I mean, please join us in the Healing Burnout course for this last time that I am doing it live um, uh, here this fall if you have not yet because this question of enough is so deeply at the root of what is burning so much of us out and it applies to so many areas of our life that the thing you are walking through right now will be a different thing 18 months from now and a different thing five years from now. But once you have this foundation, you'll be able to unpack it, unravel it, heal from it, heal through it because you have this foundational wisdom. Would it have been enough for me to be a multimillionaire entrepreneur who is the guru of Instagram and social media? No. No, it would not. I I don't care. I don't care. I'm just not passionate about social media. 
These aren't, these aren't going to be things in like 10 or 20 years. Are they going to be different things? I don't know. It's just not, it's just not my thing. My tombstone isn't, she was really good at marketing algorithms. Like, cause, cause I'm not, I'm not dismissing, like it's just Instagram. It's, it's marketing. It's marketing. And I am deeply interested in marketing, but then it's also like algorithms and, you know, a little whatever. No, that wouldn't have been enough. Would it be enough if I didn't reach this number goal in my business? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like typing that in as my password is in like, girl, you're going to be a success story when you get this. You just, you just keep chasing this number. You just keep chasing that top of the mountain. I don't have to get to that top of that number for, for me to be deeply happy and fulfilled in my life. Way less than that would have been enough. Would it have been enough if I wasn't a New York Times bestselling author, but I had a successful launch. People loved my book. They kept recommending it to friends. It kept consistently selling over the years because the message mattered and it was changing women's lives and they kept telling their friends about it. Absolutely. So why did I keep focusing on the definition of success was if I got this specific accolade. It was, there was, it was absolutely enough without this. And this is so much of this tension that we will unravel more together this fall in healing burnout. And it's also why my approach to healing burnout is both practical actions and perspective shifts. And I think that's what we're so often missing is that we are working on so much of our our actions, like our our schedule, our self-care things, like all those things on the outside, and it's it's not enough to healing. Or we're working on the the mindset and we're we're listening to the self-help podcasts or we're doing the meditation or the prayer or whatever, but that's also not leading to breakthrough. That it really is the combination of those that I didn't see anyone else leading me to that path and I had to cobble it together for myself. And thank goodness I did because I was saying to Jeremy last night, the last two years have been the the hardest, have been consistently the hardest two years of my life. I've gone through worse individual things that were like a major sharp rock bottom, but then ultimately a couple months later, they weren't that painful. Or one thing was happening that was deeply painful, but in a lot of other areas of my life, there was just like general life stress and consistency and consistency. But in in the last two years, I mean, it's just been every area of our life so hard for so long doesn't let up in thing after thing after thing. And by the grace of God, in the six months before that, I got determined that I was going to heal my burnout. And I don't know, and I'm someone that has struggled with suicidal ideation in the past. And I said to Jeremy, the fact that I have not had those flashes in the last two years with everything we've been going through. The fact that I haven't hit that rock bottom, like there's times when you're just like, how are we going to get through this? But you know, logically, I mean, we will. 
somehow we will, but depression is when hopelessness is when you're like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get through this. So now I just, I don't even have the energy to get out of bed during the day, you know, for the day. Like, and the fact that I have not hit rock bottom more in the last two years is only because for some miraculous reason, I was like, this is the thing I have to figure out. And it was literally like January to June, 2021. And then as of June, 2021, ish hit the fan and we are 27 months later and it has not let up for one month. And I'm like, the only reason I'm surviving this is the only reason there, I, but my marriage is surviving this probably. I don't mean like we would have gotten divorced over it, but I just mean like the impact it would have had on my husband if I didn't have these tools is, is what I put into the Healing Burnout course. And I didn't do it thinking I was making a course for you. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but it wasn't until a year later we did a survey. We were asking you guys just like, what's the number one thing you're struggling with? You know, I was just thinking how... I was, I was rethinking what content I could create. It was like, um, you know, I thought the book was kind of wrapping up. Turns out the book was dying. And I was just, I, I was a bit doing this dreaming of the next season. What is it that, where, where do we go from here? How can I help? And 97% of your answers, even if it's not the word you used, were, I'm struggling with burnout. I just, I don't know how to do it all. I feel exhausted. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I, I don't know what my goals and dreams are. I feel like I have too many goals and dreams. I feel anything I said. And I went, oh, wait, that's, that's, what I've, that's what I've been doing to survive myself for the last year and a half. Why did I not think? I, I, it didn't even occur to me as I was doing it to be like, this is a course. This is a course that I'm creating. I was doing it so I could survive and I could have breakthrough. And then it realized everyone needed it. And I put it together into this program. And then it starts out with an assessment on the 13 signs of burnout. And I'm actually going to be doing that live next week, Wednesday and Thursday, November 1 and 2. It is also the last time in a very long time that I'm going to be doing it live so that you can ask me questions as you're going through your own scores. I can really help you with it. But then going through, you start with this assessment and you get your burnout score. And then within weeks, we've got students that are like, my burnout score dropped in half. Within weeks. <laughs> like I've never had something else like that where I had you in a teaching, where I had you take an assessment. And the assessment, by the way, is based on the the research, the science, the psychology, like what what the the clinical definitions of burnout and things like that. It's not just me being like, here are my thoughts, but it was digging into the research and saying everything I could find out there that was a burnout assessment, it was made for like HR consultants to use in a hospital to see if their nurses were burned out. And it just didn't, it was too specific about like high stress work situations. It just didn't take in all of life. It didn't feel applicable to me and my friends. And so I was like, I need to take this wisdom that's out there and give us something that really feels like, okay, this helps me in my life. And once you go through the assessment, then you can always go back and go through it again later to be like, wow, my life has really changed and things that I've healed in these areas, but circumstances shifted. And now this other thing is higher. And, um, 
but I've got the same tools to you know, be able to approach it. So anyways, I'll put that link in the bio, but it's hillaryrushford.com slash 13 signs. The number one, the number three, 13 signs. But this concept of enough, it is such a complicated word because we have been told not to settle, right? And I totally agree. I mean, you don't want your friends to settle for a guy that doesn't seem good enough for them. You don't want your child to settle for doing something because all like all their friends are, are playing soccer, but your kid hates soccer or whatever. Like no one wants to have settled in life. That feels sad. So yeah, let's not settle. But then where does the pendulum swing on the other side of that? It's to dream big. But in a culture, a supersized culture, where you can have all the accolades Serena Williams has, but the dream is still that you're going to go out on top, you're going to win one more, then are we not intrinsically pulled to be dreaming for more than we actually need to be happy and therefore exhausting ourselves when the 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 this the definition of enough for us to be like i feel so blessed in my life like things are going really great was was way more center on the spectrum there's settling and disappointment over on the left there's big crazy dreams your your behags your big hairy goals your big audacious dreams you know like all of that goal setting speak those are over on the right And so, no, we don't want to be on the left, but if we're running all the way to the right, are we not picking up some dreams that just all all the people who are constantly wanting more and more and more keep talking about? I think there is something more in the middle for most of us that it is just really hard to quiet the noise of a culture that wants more and more in order to say, what is... What is enough for me? That's so much at the root at what we unpack and answer for ourselves inside healing burnout. And I was watching the, you know, I love keeping up with the Kardashians. I really, it's not even called that anymore. Um, I watch zero reality shows and um, they've gotten very, I think I, I think honestly through healing burnout the last few years, I've gotten so much more aware of what affects my nervous system. And even something like, The Bachelor, I was just like, there's just this negativity. There's just, people are going to be heartbroken. People are going to be catty. Why why do I want to watch this? This doesn't make me feel happy at the end of the night. Lots of people are unhappy in what I am watching. Um, But I don't know why. For some reason, the Kardashians is just like such like ridiculous escapism to me. And even when they're crazy to each other, they ultimately really are like, but at the end of the day, we're sisters and we come back together. Like it sort of always kind of has a happy ending, I guess, in that way, because even though they'll go through a heartbreak in a romance, like they live in this cul-de-sac with all of their sisters. And so none of them are ultimately really, truly alone. Like there is something a little bit utopian about it um, that I think is why I'm like, oh, this is fun, fluff escapism, but like, my anxiety isn't spiked for some reason. But anyways, I'm watching the new, was watching the new season. It was this episode filmed back in January where they're starting the new year and they're like, here's what our goals are. And both Kim and Chris, the mom, say something to the effect of like, I 
I, I want to slow down more this year. I want to be more present. I want to say no to more things, like whatever. And I just thought this, this, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. They have more than enough. Money, fame, power, influence. But there's a, there's a wiring in the culture that never tells them it's enough. And they haven't done that work for themselves to define enough. So they are burned out. They are spread too thin. They are wishing they could enjoy their life more. They would like more time with their family. They would like more time to rest. And unlike, I would imagine, almost every single one of us on this call, they, they could do nothing for the rest of their lives and always have enough money always have enough fame, always have enough power, always have enough influence. They don't have to do any more to have all of that, that most of us would say, if, if I just had $10 million dropped into my lap tomorrow, I wouldn't be burned out. That then I would have the spaciousness. The reality is we talk about this in, um, in Healing Burnout, that we talk about the cultural realities, that we are not just most of us creating our own chaos. We, we are living within the challenges of how do we balance work and motherhood and being really busy at work, but also wanting to go out and date and wanting to see our friends and trying to pay the bills and inflation is going up and, you know, all the things. But then we are reminded, even with all of that, there can be something within us that says this, this isn't enough. And my fourth and final dream example that I'll share is I had to make the decision in the last few years, did I want to be a mother? And if so, how did I feel called to do it? How did I feel, what what was the, the most likely way that that was going to happen with what our fertility reality says? And friend, I don't know if you have noticed, but society says that you should 100% want to be a mother and it will 100% make you miserable. Which is very confusing (laughs) to then figure out um, what, so, so what would make me happy enough? Like is, is, is the kid going to make me happy? Cause you also keep telling me how exhausted it's going to make me, but you also tell me that I'm not going to be happy enough without it. Like what, what is the answer? And everyone's just like, oh, there just really isn't an answer. So you're like, okay, oh my gosh. And unlike what I realized in exploring these goals is that unlike career, business, financial, any of these other dreams that I had been pursuing over the years, I was so aware that motherhood was binary. There were no takebacks. I couldn't decide later, I don't want to keep offering this Instagram course because 50% of my students taking it do not understand how to build a business. So it's inauthentic that I'm telling them that I can double their Instagram following because what I mean is if you have a business model that works and you understand marketing, branding, copywriting, conversion... I can help you double your Instagram following. But 
if you're missing that first step, then you really shouldn't be spending your money with me. We got to go back and talk about that first step. So I eventually was able to, to walk away from that and just say, not only am I not deeply passionate about this, but I just don't ethically feel right that I, that I think I'm, I'm not, because no one out there, if you haven't noticed, no one who teaches business is like, by the way, do not buy this product if you don't already have these foundations in place. Because they don't want to dissuade all of these early entrepreneurs from thinking that if they just buy this one Pinterest horse, it's going to change everything. Like, um, that usually is not the case. So anyways, dreams like that, I could change my mind, even if I didn't, it's not what I was thinking about at the time, but knowing there are no take backs in deciding to have a child and it is completely life altering from henceforth to the end of your days. That led me to such a determination to make sure that I was doing everything I could do, which didn't mean that it was going to be perfect. It's just everything that a wise human can do to have a realistic vision of what this dream of motherhood would be like for me, for my husband, for my happiness, my vision of a good life, my priorities, my strengths and weaknesses, not anybody else's, not the people who make it seem like the worst on social media, not the people who make it seem so idyllic on social media. And I really took my time in making this decision which is a luxury we don't always feel like we have. And I don't know, when you look back at times when you felt like you kind of had to make a quick decision, did you? Like, could you actually have had more time? Was it actually a story that if you didn't take that promotion right then, it was never going to come around again? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Um, But in my case, because we'd already done the, the IVF part, and I wasn't like... It's now or never. Like I did have some time to really sit with, do we want this? And that is not to say that because I worked through really wisely making that decision that I won't be burned out as a mother. And I, FYI, plan to be very transparent about how that transition is for me because I don't feel like I have gotten enough behind the scenes of healthy mothering, um, healthy motherhood, um, where you can honor the hard without also just making it sound like the worst ever, but also not, you know, papering over the hard because you don't want it to ever seem like you regret your kids or, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to be burned out in that, or I'm going to be like, guys, I just totally nailed it. I have an exact plan that you can follow, but I am clear on the meaning of the dream for me my why, why I think, and of course we will see, that that I think that clarity is going to help me with how I approach my goals and my productivity within motherhood. And a perfect example of that, if you haven't yet listened or you want to re-listen to episode 174 on Wild Peace, was a great example of realizing like, okay, I just got to keep refocusing on my goals and I actually did the work to already set this goal and really dig into it. And now I just need to keep recentering on that. But it came from me. It came from inside of my soul. And that's what I want to help us all do in this upcoming season, 
Start with the Healing Burnout Assessment live with me next week. Join me through these six weeks of coaching. I want to help all of us feel that we have more peace and confidence, that we really are choosing goals and priorities and values that are from our soul and turning the volume down on the outside pressures and opinions. Because if you are stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious, spread too thin, stuck, unfulfilled, I mean, all of the things, and have been for a while, and have been in previous seasons, and maybe it got easier for a while because of circumstance, but not because you actually had tools. It's just like life stopped punching you in the gut for a while, or maybe you're actually in, in a spring right now. Last week, we talked about winter and spring. Maybe you're in a spring right now, but it's that wisdom to say, winter will come again. Like none of us can avoid winter. So I'm going to get these tools now to really be able to support myself in staying safe, staying healthy, and truly creating a life that I love. And I want, I, Hillary, want to love my life more in 2024. And even though I have done so much work over the last two and a half years on this regard, I am now convicted and compelled. Okay, there's a new flavor of it in this season. I now have to go back and figure out what my what my professional dreams are and just how I can go into this season, this brand new life experience of motherhood and say, I want to have a family that isn't burned out. I want to have friends that aren't burned out. I want our home to be a place where people come and they feel what it's like to not be burned out, where they learn how to not be burned out. And again, after our conversation last week about just how we will always have people in our lives who are in winter, and we will always have times when we are in winter. And I think there is nothing more important, compassionate, generous, beautiful, powerful that we can do in the world, but to cultivate these tools to be able to guide ourselves to spring more often and more easily and to do the same for others. I can't wait to be on this journey with you this fall. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is working on my baby registry with my mom. And I just want to acknowledge that might be a really sad sentence to hear if you wish you were working on a baby registry right now or you wish you would be able to do something like that with your mom um, or something in your life with your mom. But uh, we spent three hours on Zoom last weekend uh, just screen sharing because we're long distance and just going over what I've put on my registry because, and what I, cause I'm only 50% done, um, according to the online software. And, um, it's, it's not, it's not my fave. Uh, it's not my fave thing because I guess aligned with this conversation today, um, it would be enough for me to have two options of a baby thermometer. You have the $10 
you know, one that goes up the rectum and you have the $100 one that goes on the forehead. Those are your options. That would be enough for me. When I tell you, I walked out like almost in tears <laughs> to Jeremy. I had signed off with my mom because she had to go to dinner and I was still um, working on it. And I was like, honey, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. Um, I, we, I, we, need to, we need to get a thermometer, right? Because the baby can get fevers and it's a very big deal when the baby gets fevers. So you just, you want to know if the baby has a fever. This is going to be an important thing. It's not a fluffy thing. It's not an extra thing. It's like a life or death, health basic. You got to have a thermometer. So I'm looking for the thermometers and I'm looking on Target and I'm looking on, you know, the, the different places and I'm Googling, what does Forbes say are the best baby thermometers for 2023? Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to the places. I just, just, just find me a thermometer. Every thermometer I click on, it turns out, by, by the way, you need, you need the rectum one for the small baby. So you're not going for the digital one until they're like, I don't know, six months old or something. Okay, great. Narrowed it down. We're just looking for a little baby bump thermometer. Everyone I looked at, whether it was $5 or $30, had the exact same 50% of reviews saying, this does not work. This is a waste of money. It said my son had 103 degree fever and he absolutely didn't feel that hot. It said that my child didn't have a fever. I didn't trust it because I felt like she did. We took her to the hospital. Turned out she absolutely did. You're like, the whole point of this is to know if your kid is sick and 50% of the people are like, this did the opposite. It made me freak out when I didn't have to, or it made me think that he was okay when he actually wasn't. And I was like, Jeremy, I, I don't know what to do. I've spent 45 minutes researching <laughs> infant rectal thermometers, which I think is also just like a normal thermometer in some ways, you know what I mean? But just... Why, why, why are there so many options and why do none of them appear to be able to work? So by the way, in case you're wondering what we decided to do, um, what I decided to do was um, buy two thermometers. I just bought two thermometers of different brands, for each $10, and I just figured, okay, I've lowered the statistical likelihood that both of them are going to be over or under. And um, heaven forbid our poor child is sick. They will definitely be getting not one, but two things shoved up their little tush because apparently in 2023, we can't just make thermometers that work. So this is the experience that I'm having with the baby registry. And I keep being like, I am someone who avoids burnout. I am someone who simplifies my life. I am not trying to complicate this. I am not obsessing over it. I just don't want my to not know that my kid is <laughs> sick. Like, <laughs> this seems like a normal thing. So the reason it's been great to do it with my mom is it's almost like, it's almost like doing it with a friend that is very ideologically aligned with you because my mom had n none of these options when I was born. So she's not coming in with like all of this knowledge. She's not the friend that's like done all the research and whatever. She's like, you're right. This is like way too many bottle options. <laughs> like there was just two options at Toys R Us. So I don't know, I bought one for you. So I think it's helpful to have someone else to process with. And it's almost helping me feel more connected to my mom. Cause I'm like, you didn't have the option to be, to be the freak out person that like 
heaven forbid you start following someone on Instagram who's had a new infant who is an influencer who gives you their links and it's like, okay, this is the this I used, this is the this I used. And then you're like, okay, everybody's recommending different things. Like it's it's way too much for me. I've been on Instagram less because it's just way too much. <clears throat> and so it has been both a beautiful time to connect with my mom. It's been a fun thing to do together. Jeremy, bless him. He's going to be the best dad, like the best dad, but he is very uninterested in figuring out what kind of bottles to get, you know? So it's like having a buddy in that, but then also because my mom is not of this, not of the generation that had so many options, she's she's with me that she's like, yeah, this would be easier if there was less. So how can we just, you know, simplify on the less? So I guess this is to say that rem- whatever your dream is, whatever it is you are walking through, that getting to share it with someone makes it so much better. <laughs> Having someone to bounce ideas off of and uh, you know brainstorm with makes it so much better. And that it's so important to make sure that that person has your same values and priorities. And if you are wanting to simplify, you are doing that in a community of people that are wanting to simplify. If you are wanting life to feel lighter and easier, then you are only talking through your options with people who also ask, what would feel lighter and easier to you? As opposed to, do you know what 29 things you could do? You know, I saw this TikTok and I've got eight ideas for you. And you're, I had that conversation last night, by the way. I had a conversation with a friend. Uh, someone in my life had something hard. I said to Jeremy, we were not four minutes into that conversation before she started offering me solutions. And I was like, I've literally been working on this for five years. Do you really think that four minutes in, you're going to propose something that I haven't thought through before? Like, (laughs) okay, not the person to collaborate with. The person to collaborate with would have been the business coach 10 years ago who wouldn't have said, here's what I know and what I'm an expert in and what my values are, which is money, which is why I'm going to put you in this direction, but who had said to you, what's important to you? What's important to you? Because that is all that actually matters. It's all that actually matters. And my dream, had he asked my dream, is genuinely to help other women heal through healing myself. It's to heal myself and then as a teacher, be able to put it into a process that makes it so easy and accessible for someone else to fold into their wonderfully full life so they have a little bit more space to just love their life themselves and who they are. next Wednesday.